Hello, welcome to Vet Talk, the veterinary podcast. I'm Dr. Nathan. Thanks for listening. This is an informational podcast, and we hope you find it a valuable tool to help you understand veterinary medicine and how to better care for your animals. If you want to contact us, please reach out to theveterinarypodcast at gmail.com. You can find a complete list of the podcast episodes on SoundCloud or by going to lickingvalleyvet.com and finding the education page. While you are there, take a look at our blog section for more helpful information. You can also follow Licking Valley Veterinary Hospital's Facebook page if you want regular updates on released podcasts, blogs, and videos. If you find this information helpful, please feel free to make a donation to the continuation of this content. There is a link to do this on the webpage under the podcast list. As always, thanks for listening, and I hope this information is helpful to you. Equine protozoal myelitis is the disease we will focus on today. This is a disease that affects horses neurologically. So what does it look like? Well, it can look like anything, and that's part of the problem, because sometimes owners and veterinarians don't notice until it's too late. So let's back up a bit and discuss what causes the disease. It's a protozoal parasite typically Sarcocystis neurona and sometimes Neosporia husei. This parasite doesn't really want to find the horse. What it really wants is possums. I tell people this is a disease of possum poop. Wipe them all out. All of them. Hold on there, Darcidius. That is people's main reaction when I tell them EPM is an opossum disease. But that is a huge overreaction. Yes, possums are the cause for this disease, and it does kill horses. But working in absolutes is only the reaction of a Sith. First, we must consider the possum and ask a few questions. How does it mainly transmit this disease? It's poop. The disease is transmitted via poop, and most often implicated for when an opossum gets into a grain supply and goes to town eating on one end and pooping out the other end. Then, an unsuspecting owner comes out with no clue the possum got into the feed, scoops out the feed and the possum poop, and in the process, feeds their horses, giving them the disease. So, there may be an answer easier than killing possums. Maybe we lock our feed bins more securely. Ah, there we go. Simple. Disease solved. Eh, not quite. I have horses come down with EPM without being fed grain. How is this possible? Well, possums poop in the field and in hay piles, and if an unsuspecting horse comes along eating the poop covering his forage, they were just exposed to the disease. Wipe them out. All No, 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 no. Back off, Sidious. Yeah. This is a way for horses to get a deadly disease, but we have to remember how the possum fits into our ecosystem. It's unique because it's North America's only marsupial, so let's not kill something so unique. It also has the attribute of being very resistant to rabies, and maybe, most importantly to us, is its diet. What have my clients been complaining about more and more with the world warming? insects moving into habitats that they haven't been able to be as predominant in as before. Specifically, 
ticks. Guess what eats ticks in abundance? Possums. And here we need to take another look back in history, <clears throat> horse owners, before we forget our follies. Anyone remember seeing a Carolina parrot? No, I didn't think so. Because it's extinct. We killed them. We wiped them out. All it, yes, yes, I know. And you know what it ate? Burrs. And now what does every horse owner hate doing because every time the horse lowers its head is covered in these things? Pulling burrs. My fingers have been calloused many a time from pulling so many burrs from my horses. Likely because we killed the parrot that ate the burrs. And guess what? Ticks do more than just create nuisances. They carry disease. Lyme disease and anaplasma to name two. Ticks give multiple diseases to humans, horses, cows, dogs, and cats. We need our possums around to help us fight the ticks as they gain more territory on us with ever-increasing temperatures in the world. I'd rather fight one disease such as EPM, which we have prevention methods and treatments for, than the host of diseases ticks are bringing upon us. So how do we fight this disease if it's not wiping out all the possums? A vaccine, right? Uh, well, no, we don't have a vaccine for the disease either. So we have to go to the basics. First, try to prevent it where possible. We lock off food sources of food that would be tempting for possums to poop in. Decreasing the concentration of possum poop will go a long way. There can still be exposure to the disease, but it's going to be in a large field. And think about it. Are you more likely to find a needle in a haystack or a needle in a sewing kit? Second, is identifying the disease to treat it early. Easy enough, right? Such a devastating disease should be very obvious. Not really. It can start very subtly before it becomes very obvious. And even when it's very obvious, it's not obvious that it's EPM. One of the problems with neurologic disease in horses is one neurologic disease looks much like another neurologic disease. Think about it. The nerves in the body do a specific set of things. They transmit signals. If a nerve is damaged by trauma, the signal can't transmit. If a nerve is damaged by a virus, the signal can't transmit. If a nerve is damaged by a protozoal parasite, the signal can't transmit, and we see the same signs. In my mind, I don't classify a specific set of signs with EPM. I classify the signs as neurologic and then start ruling things out. So what will the owner call and tell me they see with EPM? And what will I see on the physical exam? Let's go through a few different scenarios. Horse number one. The owner called me out to the farm for a horse that was down in the field. It could not get up and was kicking blindly with its rear legs. Horse number two. The owner called me out for a lameness exam because it tripped a few times during warm-up exercise. Horse number three. The owner called me out because they were worried about a tumor on the horse's face. Horse number four. The horse was resisting turning its head to the left or right. So, did all of these horses have EPM? What do I see with EPM? Anything. As young vets or as horse owners, you have to realize EPM can stumble into your lives in a variety of manners because it depends how many protozoa are in the spinal cord and where they are causing their damage. It all depends which nerves are affected. 
If I had to say what I think EPM would look like, I would say a horse with muscle atrophy or muscle shrinking on the rear end and stumbling of the rear end. Why? Because to me this is the most common scenario and also makes the most sense. The nerves from the brain to the rear legs of the horse travel the furthest, so they can be interrupted anywhere along the tract. If you want to affect the left scapular muscle on the front leg of the horse, you have to affect a very specific nerve segment because it's much shorter. It's more likely these bugs will affect the rear end of the horse because there are so many more spots along the distance of the track to hit those nerves on the rear limb. We see neurologic signs that seem consistent with EPM, but we have to ask more questions. First and foremost, what else could be causing it? Rabies is always on the list. Wow, that got serious fast. We just pulled up a disease with a death outcome that could very easily kill anyone caring for the horse. What else could be causing it? Equine herpes virus 1 and 4, 1 being a very serious form of the disease which keeps causing a stir in the country. Could be any of the mosquito diseases such as your eastern, western, or west Nile or Venezuelan encephalitis. Also, trauma can't be ruled out. Did the horse get kicked somewhere? I have to start ruling things out. The easiest way of doing this is seeing up-to-date vaccine records. I get very particular with clients about producing proof of vaccines at this point. I don't tend to go with, well, I had that one shot when we were supposed to. I want proof. I want to know when exactly the horse was vaccinated and what for specifically. Why? Because more often than not, the owner reports information to me incorrectly. If the horse is up to date on its vaccines that vaccinate against the mosquito diseases, I don't feel the need to test for those diseases on our first round of testing. But if the vaccines are out of date, or the horse wasn't vaccinated for something on the list, even if it seems unlikely in the situation, I test for it. So as owners, have your records on hand when you have a neurologic horse, because that will make a difference of how the vet approaches the case and not to put too fine a point on it, how expensive it will be to test for. Testing for every neurologic disease costs more than testing for one disease. The more I can rule out, the more we can spend money on treatment. I'm not judging people at that point if they are behind on vaccines, I just need information. So then I start collecting samples to send to the lab. Well, Doc, why are you sending all those samples? I just told you my horse was fully vaccinated. I thought we were just doing one test. Well, yes, we are. But if that test comes back negative, I don't want to waste time sending more samples. I collect for all the tests I want to, and then instead of making another trip, if the EPM test is negative, I just call the lab and ask them to run more tests. What samples do you need to test for EPM? What will your vet be getting? Blood or cerebral spinal fluid, or CSF. Which is best to have? the CSF, or the cerebral spinal fluid. Which do vets get more often? Well, I guess I don't know what most vets do, but doing a CSF tap on a horse occurs in one of two locations, the base of the head or the tail base. These are not procedures I like to do in the field or without stocks or heavy sedation. After all, uncontrolled environments where needles are going into the spine can have many unintended consequences. 
I've never collected CSF for an EPM test, but it would certainly yield the best results because the little buggers are living in the spinal cord and the CSF is the closest thing to the spinal cord so yields more accurate results. A blood draw has always done fine for me for determining if a horse has EPM or not. So instead of risking getting myself kicked when I put a CSF needle in a horse, I just draw some blood and send the serum to the lab. And then depending on the speed of the lab, but generally in a few days, I have my answer. Or do I? How is this lab test reported? It's a titer level. It shows level of exposure, not a, your horse has this disease or not. Well, what the Sith does that mean? It means what it says. The animal was exposed to the disease. Well, guess what? Many horses have been exposed to EPM, but not all of them come down with the disease or clinical signs of the disease. This means that the horse was able to fight it off, or didn't get a high enough dose of the parasite to cause clinically significant disease. Well, Doc, then how do we know we need to treat this disease if so many horses are exposed? Good question. Well, I treat it because I see neurological clinical signs, exposure to the disease, and I have ruled out other neurologic diseases. I've had some clients want to test every horse they have for EPM or test it because the horse is acting a little funny. However nice it would be for my pocketbook, I tend to talk owners out of this because we would find a lot of horses exposed to the disease and not all horses need treatment even if they've been exposed to the disease. Also, titer level tends to be higher in active cases versus older exposures. So if I have a horse that has a titer of 1 to 250, I know the horse was exposed at some point in its life. If I have a horse that is showing a titer of 1 to 5,000, I am wondering about active infection because of the numbers. If I have a 1 to 5,000 neurologic horse, I want to treat this horse for having EPM. Let's go back to our four horses. Horse number one. The owner called me out to the farm for a horse that was down in the field. It could not get up and was kicking blindly with its rear legs. EPM or not? The horse was down with neurologic signs. They had not vaccinated the horse. I drew samples, instituted treatment. We ended up having to euthanize the horse because it couldn't stand and the lab came back with a high titer to EPM. EPM positive that ended up in the death of a horse after lots of expensive lab tests. Horse number two. The owner called me out for a lameness exam because it tripped a few dimes during warm-up exercises. The lameness exam was unremarkable, low, no lameness. Hoof testers were negative, it lunged okay, straight lined okay, and joints seemed fine. I did not see it miss a step. What do you think? EPM or no? The owners were insistent they noticed a problem, so I took the horse out of the arena and had them walk it down a hill. The horse missed half a step with its front feet, and that made me start to wonder. It had current vaccines, so I recommended an EPM test. Sure enough, a high titer. We treated the horse for EPM, and the horse returned to performance level. Horse number three. The owner called me out because they were worried about a tumor on the horse's face. The horse tumor had subsided by the time of the appointment, but we ended up doing a dental on the horse and the horse was drunk during the dental and staggered around. EPM or no? 
no, of course not. I sedate all the horses I do dentals on so they look neurologic because they are drunk on drugs. However, the barn owner had a horse in with the tumor horse to keep it company while it was waiting for the vet, since it would have gotten anxious alone while the other horses were turned out. While the horses were walked in, I noticed the second horse that was just there for comfort of the first was hanging its head, losing muscle mass of its rear end, and dragging its back feet. I told the owner we needed to examine that horse as something looked wrong. Sure enough, after a very drawn-out process of getting records, I sent lab work off and the horse had EPM. So yeah, number three was a trick for you. But like I said, you never know when EPM is going to stumble in. Horse number four. The horse was resisting turning its head to the left or right. An exam revealed pain in the neck and stumbling walk of the rear end. EPM or no? This one turned out to be trauma. There was injury to the neck, as revealed by x-rays, which was hurting the spinal cord and certain movements caused weakness in the rear end and pain in the front end. What's important about this is not every neurologic horse is EPM, but any neurologic horse could be EPM. As vets, we have to be systematic in ruling out disease. Records help. History helps, and just observing the horse helps. And be thorough. If you are a vet, make sure to get accurate proof of records from owners. It's not that you don't trust owners, though as my staff said recently, I act a lot like Dr. House, so maybe I don't trust owners. But your job as a vet is to make sure to have as accurate a picture as possible to give the owner the best advice. Hearsay of medical records is not the same as the medical record in hand. Get the information. Often owners misunderstand what they have vaccinated for or have been tricked into thinking a horse was vaccinated upon purchase when it was not. Get this information so you as a vet don't miss a diagnosis. And as the owner, if you don't have paper proof of vaccination, expect your vet to recommend the more expensive test because they want to give you the best chance of recovering your horse. Speaking of the chances of recovering a horse, we will talk about treatment options and prognosis of this disease in our next episode. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Nathan. I hope this information was helpful to you and gives you a little more perspective on the world. If you want to reach out to us, email us at theveterinarypodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to tell your friends about our podcast and check out lickingvalleyvet.com for information on blogs, videos, and the complete list of podcasts in our education section.